0: Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. If you're new to your Bibles, go to the New Testament. Uh, You'll find Matthew and just turn back a couple books to the left and you'll land in Haggai. Um, Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for time. Uh, Thank you that we get to uh, open up the scriptures. Um, Lord, you know the conditions of our heart. Uh, You know where um, we struggle. Uh, You know where we're obedient and you know where... Um, the comforts are that we flee to. Uh, This morning, um, as we're gathered together, I pray that uh, the place that we run to, the place that our hearts desire would be to to be in you, Um, security in you, um, relationship with your son Jesus, finding our identity uh, in you. So would you take this morning and maybe use it as a turning point um, for some of us? Would you use it as a stake in the ground uh, for some of us on our faith and on what we believe would you use it as a moment that we're able to look back on maybe in years to come and say, hey, that was the moment, God, where you did something significant in my life. So take this morning, use it uh, however you would, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so turning point, um, I, I want everybody just to kind of join in saying that with me, turning point, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. turning point. Yeah, turning point, that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about uh, turning points. And we've said um, over—if if this is your first week with us—we um, uh, are—we over the past three weeks we have been in a series through uh, the Book of Haggai, just a short uh, four-week series. So um, this is the fourth week, and we're going to be wrapping it up uh, this morning. And we've said throughout the series that there is uh, a main theme that is running through the two chapters of Haggai. And guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you: don't disappoint. Okay? This is the last time that we get to collectively collectively say this together so if you've been here let's roll with this okay what is the main theme of the book of Haggai? keeping the main thing the main thing hey all right, you guys nailed it alright and that's it it's been about keeping the main thing the main thing because um, just as we're prone to do uh, the people of Judah at the time of Haggai they were in a place of taking smaller lesser things and raising them up and elevating them to a point so those became the major priority in their life. And the main thing that was supposed to be the priority of their life, and we could boil it down and say the main thing was actually to be to have a real vibrant relationship with God. A relationship that, that wasn't just one of lip service, but was one of something that was a heart transforming kind of a thing that led them into a place of obedience. That was the main thing. But there were other little things that were rising up to the surface and boiling up that kept pushing that to the side. And so the lesser things became the main things in, in their uh, lives. And so we looked at, throughout our time, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is he's talking to his disciples, and he reminds the disciples in the midst of everything that they're going through, and he's kind of setting up what the kingdom is going to look like, he tells them to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things. Seek his righteousness, seek the kingdom, and all these other things are going to come along as well as they seek the kingdom first. And then we looked a a, a little bit later at at Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 4 where Jesus is speaking to the churches. And he he says, you've done amazing things. Beautiful things. Things that nations will be talking about. Things that eternity will be talking about. But there's something that I hold against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've abandoned the love that you've had at first. Somewhere along the line, You stop seeking God first. You stop seeking his kingdom. And what happens is that their heart slowly shifted to lesser things. And if we were to take that out of Revelation context, out of uh, Matthew 6 context, and we were to put that into our context, we would understand that they didn't wake up and just say, you know what, today's going to be a good day where I just say, I'm done, I'm going to walk away. There was a slow drift that gets to that point. Little movements away from the truth that... After a while, when they looked up, they were way off of course. And this is what happens to Judah, right? They, they've been taken captive to the Babylonians. Their temple's been destroyed. They've been held captive now for 70 years. They've now been allowed to go home because the, the thing that they wanted more than anything, the thing that their hearts longed for was to go back home and to rewrite what the wrong was that that led them into captivity to start off with so they go back into jerusalem and they are excited everything is going perfect they're laying the foundation of the temple until opposition shows up and when opposition shows up you know that they stopped for 16 years and for 16 years you know what they were doing they were building what haggai says is their paneled houses The main things not being the main thing, lesser things began to percolate to the top and that became the priority of their life and they lost sight of their first love. They lost sight of a real and a vibrant relationship with God that led to a heart change that moved them into obedience. And in the sovereign grace and the love of God, what he does, and if you've ever been in God's sovereign uh, grace and his love, you know that he's not above doing this. What he does with Judah here is he calls them out. You remember that he calls him out he says hey you've been working your tails off you've been putting your hand to the plow you've been spending all your time at the office all of your time at the gym all of your time building up your net worth building your little houses your panel little houses you've planted you've drank you have put on clothes but you didn't have enough food your stomach was never full your barns were never filled you, you, you walked around empty. What you thought would satisfy you, it's not working. Think about it. He says, think carefully about what you're doing. Is this working for you? And he says, it's not. Because he says, I did that. I made it so that you would never be satisfied with lesser things. That you could only, only be satisfied with what your heart was truly built to, to, to long after. And so he says, if you really want to be satisfied... If you really want to go after what's going to fill up your heart, just do what I brought you back here to do. I brought you out of a land of captivity, and I brought you back into Jerusalem, and I told you to build my house. And so if you want to be satisfied, build your life around me. Go up to the hills, grab the wood, Bring it down, build my house, and then in doing so, what you are doing is you were saying, "I am going to build my life around God. I am going to choose to worship Him over any of the other idols that we've been putting our hands to in the in the past years." And so, I think what Haggai is getting to is that this turning point moment, because this was the first turning point moment for Judah. They had a decision to make in this moment. It's like, okay, God called me out. It didn't feel very good. I was comfortable where I was doing my own little thing over here, but here's God. He's showing up, and he's calling me out. And so the question is, what am I going to do with that? And you've probably had moments like this, right? Your friends call you out, and you're like, dang, bro. Like, why are you going to put me out on blast like that? I mean, I've been over here. I've been trying to kind of move some things along. I've been trying to do the right thing, but you just called me out. Maybe your roommate has been kind of like, hey, we're tired of picking up after you. Right? I, everywhere I look, your stuff is all over the room. It's in the kitchen. It's on the couch. It's in my room. And they're like, if some changes aren't made, there's going to be some changes that are being made around here. And you're like, whoa, why are you calling me out like that? Or, or maybe you've been called out by your husband or been called out by your wife. And you just like, hey, you said you're going to fix that thing, but you haven't got around to fixing it yet. You said that you were going to start taking me out, and we were going to start dating again, we are going to start building into our relationship again, but that hasn't happened yet. What's going on here? And you've been called out, or, or, or maybe this one that never feels really good, your kids call you out? They point out some kind of inconsistency in your life, and you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, like, you're, call, you're calling me out? And you're like, don't forget your place. Don't forget, like, You were birthed out of us. Like, like we brought you into this world. And you're like, you're grounded. Go back to your room, right? But when you get, don't do that, really. Like, hear what they have to say out of the mouth of children, right? But when you get called out, there's always this potential for a turning point moment in your life. It's the moment where you get to drive a stake into the ground and say, okay, you got me. I hear you. And now I'm not moving off of this place until I get this thing right I'm gonna drive a stake down into the ground and I'm not moving from this place until we get our minds around this and when Judah got called out it could have gone two different ways they could have dug their heels in the ground and said, you know what I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing and nobody's gonna move me off of this thing or they had the opportunity to drive a stake in the ground and to begin to make some changes as the Lord was leading them to and so what did they do well, we we know that they drove a stake into the ground right they, they said okay god message received we hear you we're sorry and they repented and we said that repenting is turning back away from what we are and turning towards something else so they turned back to god and they said god we want what you want and they followed it up with going back up to the hills bringing down the wood and beginning to build the temple and here's what i, I want to say right here and and you can write this down or you can make a mental note of this but you know that you've really driven a stake into the ground at your turning point when your action follows your mouth let me say that again you know you know you know that you've driven a stake into the ground at the turning point in your life when your actions begin to match what your lips are saying when it's no longer just lip service but your heart's being changed and as your heart's being changed your actions begin to follow along. It's not just lip service. I don't know about you, but I know that there have been so many times in my life where I've made verbal commitments to make a change or to show up somewhere or to start reading my Bible or to start praying or to start sharing my faith. I made all these verbal commitments, but never allowed my heart to be changed enough to move my hands and my feet into action. Anybody else been there? Too many times in my life, That doesn't mean that everything's going to always go perfect. It doesn't mean that we're never going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that our priorities are going to be always lined up the way that they should be. There are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be moments of great resolve where we are just really digging in to what God has called us to dig into. But there's also going to be these moments of fear that pop up. These moments of doubt that kick in. These moments of like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And that's what happens to Judah. Judah. That's what happens to them next, after they drove this stake in the ground. They get wrapped up into that comparison game that we talked about just recently, where they're now, they're, they're working and they're building the temple. They've gone to the hills, they grab the wood, they start to build this thing. But as they're building their temple, they look at the, the reminiscent of what was there before, and they start to compare it to Solomon's temple of the past. And they say, what we're building cannot even hold a candle to what Solomon's done. And we said that there's a snare of compare when we start to compare what we've done against what somebody else has done, or even when we start to compare our own work to what we've done in the past, that they can keep us from doing what God has called us to do uh, now. And, and, and when they got stuck in this comparison thing, they didn't pick up their stake out of the ground and say, I'm done. They just found them pl- themselves in this place of discouragement. They didn't pick it up and say, I'm done. They were just discouraged. And God had to remind them, hey, I'm with you i'm with you don't fear be strong cling to me hold on to me and let's do what you're called to do and that brings us up to this this morning's text and i think this morning's text this is a reminder of their turning point and it's a promise of god's blessing here so look at verse 10 in chapter 2 y'all with me okay On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who's unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward or think about your ways. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there was but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day forward. Here's that word again. Think about your ways from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider or think about your ways is... The seed yet in the barn. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, what's it say? I will bless you. So we're about three months into the building process now. They've been going after the temple. And the way that I read this section is that this is God reminded them about their turning point moment. A moment in life. he He's not blasting them from where they are right now. He's helping them to look back to see where they were, where they turned, and what he's planning to do in their life and through them now. Okay? If you've got kids or you, you've got a husband, sometimes you know that there are some reminders that are needed. A reminder to do what you said you were going to do, or a reminder um, that... Uh, I forget what I just said. A ri- reminder to do what you said that you were already going to do, right? Some... Sometimes a reminder, I, like I said, I have to set reminders on my phone. Anybody else do that? Like, so you don't forget a meeting that you have coming up? So you don't forget a birthday? Like, reminders are, are a good thing. And I think what this is, is this is a reminder from God through Haggai to the people. So look at verse 12 through 14 here. Um, I, I think these are probably the, some of the weirdest texts uh, in this passage and a little bit difficult for us to understand. So I want to try for us to get our minds wrapped around them real quick. When Haggai asks the priest here, he says, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? If you're reading that text, you're probably like, what on earth does that mean? Or why is that even important? And so you know, the the priests, when they were going to go sacrifice, normally they would wear their robes and they would take holy meat or meat that had been sanctified, set apart for the Lord, and they would take their robes and they would fold it up like a a little pocket and they would put the meat inside of that until they got to where they were going. And so what Haggai is asking everybody is, if you've been carrying this holy meat around in your robe... Does it somehow rub off and make your robe holy so much so that when your robe then touches something else, that the thing that it touches, does that become holy? And so the priest answers and he says, no, that, that, that's kind of nonsense. Holiness doesn't rub off like that. It has to be made holy by by God. And so it's like this. If I were to wash my clothes, right, my clothes would be clean. But if they were to touch Anderson's dirty jersey from his football game yesterday, like my clothes would no longer be clean. My, clean. my clean clothes would not make his dirty jersey any less stinky, right? My clean clothes would not make his jersey all of a sudden bright white or whatever color it needs to be. It, his dirty jersey has the potential of making my clothes dirty and, and smelly. And this, this is what he's saying here. His dirty jersey could make my clothes dirty. And he, 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 he goes further in verse 13. Haggai asked, if somebody who's, who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. So what's he saying here? The, 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 the priest, or, or Haggai, he's saying the clean clothes can't make the dirty jersey clean, but the dirty jersey can certainly make the clean stuff dirty. He's basically saying that sin is going to be like this sin is like death that makes everything else dirty what sin touches it defiles and it defiles it completely and so you could say that sin is like a dirty jersey it stinks up everything it touches it stinks up everything else around it and what he's doing is he's using this as an example to say that before you have this turning point in your life everything in your life Everything in you as a person and everything around you, it stunk because of sin. And this is where things get a little bit even more dicey in verse 14. And Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there, it's unclean. And we've got to understand, I think, what he's saying here. Everything that they were doing before their turning point before they were called out and, and repented to God, everything that they, they were doing before they drove a stake into the ground and said, okay, God, you've got me. I hear you loud and clear. My mouth and my actions, they don't match one another. Uh, before they said, I'm going to the hills and I'm bringing down the wood and I'm going to start building your house. Because their hearts were tainted by following after the idols of the land and they were defiled, not running after God, but running after everything else that was around them. All of their worship Anything that that, that they did that was part of their past, just by just rotely bringing some type of offering um, to the Lord or some type of song together, it was all of their worship was defiled by their sin. Everything. And so I want to try for us to imagine it like this. And this may feel funky for for just a minute, but I I want you to try to stay with me, okay? You show up on Sunday morning uh, for worship, Everything looks on point, the, the minivan's all cleaned up on the outside, it looks good. You step in, or you, you, you get out of, uh, with the kids and all the kids, they've got their shoes on, right? And that's a big feat, right? That's, that's a big deal for your kids to have. I don't know if your kids do this, but every time I get out of the car, like somebody doesn't have their shoes on. And I'm like, where did they go? Like you got one in the front seat and you got one sitting in the back seat and socks are all over the place too. For whatever reason, it's a big deal in our house for our kids to have on their shoes. So you, you, you pull in and your van is clean and the kids got their shoes on and you're, you're walking in and you shake somebody's hand and you come in and you sing at the top of your lungs and your arms may be lifted up to the ceiling. There may even be a few tears that are shed and you hear a message and it just kind of rocks your world, okay? We're dreaming here a little bit together. And, but, but then you get back into the van and you, you go home. Everything on the outside has looked fantastic, beautiful day of worship on Sunday, but then you go home and you start yelling at your wife, you start yelling at your husband, you stifle your kids, you blow up, and then you can't handle it, and so you you check out and you go to the bar, um, where you check out and you start scrolling for the next two hours of what just something to take your mind off of what's going on inside of the house, and the reality is this isn't an uncommon thing. This is the norm. Okay. And it all looks good on on the outside, but inside there's this schizophrenic heart. It shows one thing on the outside, but the reality is there's something different going on on the inside. And so what Haggai is saying, was was the worship that was brought to the table, was it pure and undefiled? Was, Was this worship that was given to God pure from the heart? What he's saying is when our hearts aren't changed, and we're just going through the motions, nothing really has changed. If our hearts aren't poured in to the love of God, if our hearts aren't poured in to the obedience of God, and we're just going through rote motion, he's saying nothing has really changed. It's still tainted worship. And you're some of you like kind of looking at me maybe sideways thinking like, hold on, man. That's a, that's a little rough because my heart's not always checked in when I walk in the doors or... there are some things that go on in my house and and you're saying like when I come to church I'm not worshiping because there's something that's not what I'm saying but there there is a um, a malignancy when our heart doesn't line up with what comes out of our mouth and revelation 3 is a is a hard but but beautiful picture of this when Jesus again he's talking to the churches um, there is in revelation 3 he calls out a church where this is the reality he says I know your works, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Yikes. I think what he was saying is that everything looked good on the outside. When people looked at the church and the people in that church, they said, man, they are amazing, they just got life all together. But when you peeled back the layers and you were able to do a little bit of an excavation of the heart, you see that it was a schizophrenic heart. It wasn't portraying the reality of what was going on inside. And so I want to talk to you this morning, if that's you, if you've had maybe a schizophrenic heart that looks real, and it looks real good on the outside, but it's not really telling the story. Like, the story of Haggai is the story of of a turning point. It's the story of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, of a fresh start and a new beginning. It's the story uh, to say that there were 50,000 people who were in this place of where everything might have looked good on the outside, and it looked like things were going well to them for a while, but then all of a sudden they hit a wall, and it no longer started working for them, and 50,000 people are called out by God, and they hear God's call, and they respond to him and repent to him. And it was this moment of a turning point in their life where they drive a stake into the ground and say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And they start going to the hills. And real heart change will always lead us to a place of obedience. Real heart change will always lead us to a place of obedience. And so for every life that's been controlled by a, a schizophrenic heart, there's a chance to have a turning point. For every church that's controlled by a schizophrenic heart, there is a chance to have a turning point. And maybe today, if that's you, as you've been reading through Haggai over the last month, and you realize, holy smokes, like that's kind of been my heart, like I've been called out by God, but I have this choice to make. I could choose to dig into where I'm at, or I can make a change. I've really just dug in. Hopefully, God has used Haggai to begin to to pull us out of that place, and so that we can have this turning point in, in our lives, so our hearts actually become changed. Where Jesus becomes real. And it's no longer a show on, on the outside. And for the, the people of God in Jerusalem, they, they chose obedience. They chose obedience. But sometimes I think it takes seeing the depth of our depravity to understand the grace of God and His love, to see what He's ripped us out of. To see what he's doing in our life now how good his his grace is and i think sometimes until we become aware of what god really has done and and what he really did with his grace we miss the beauty and a call to a real vibrant and and walk with jesus because scripture doesn't try to hide that we were dead in our sin scripture doesn't try to to cover up that that we were lost and completely dark without Jesus stepping in and doing something. that We were lost without him. We were people without a hope until Jesus stepped into our life and we experienced his grace. And I think that's what God is doing here. He's reminding them of how bad it was so that they can see how good his blessings really are. Look at verse 15. Watch how he reminds them of this again. Verse 14, he just kind of, he told them this, and then 15, he explains it just in practicality. Now then, consider from this day, think about your ways, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? He's saying, it wasn't working out well for you, right? When one came to, to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. That's what was happening. Remember, I wouldn't let you be satisfied with lesser things, yet you did not turn to me, but I called you out, and you responded, and you repented, and you drove a stake in the ground, and there was a turning point in your heart where your actions began to match up with what you said, when you didn't just have a reputation for being clean on the outside, you didn't just have a reputation for being alive, but you actually became alive. There's a real and vibrant relationship going on. Can we just get practical for a minute and to to bring it out of of Haggai and kind of put it in in our context here? I think this is, if, if you're a mom and a dad, this is driving a stake in the ground and saying, you know what? I am going to choose to follow the Lord. I'm going to choose, because I know that my sin is so easily rubbed off, but it's so difficult for holiness to rub off because that's not how it was designed. And so, because I know it's so easy for my kids to pick up, and I am going to walk faithfully with the Lord, and I am going to do everything that I can to disciple my boys and disciple my girls so that they know the love and the grace of Jesus. I'm going to show them what God's grace looks like in my own life, but I'm also going to teach them to experience His grace in their own life. And, and so, if it's looked clean on the outside, but it's been dirty on the inside, this is the time to drive a stake in the ground and say, you know what, we're not playing games anymore. I'm going to disciple my kids. I'm going to lead my family. It looks like us choosing to build on the right foundation. (laughs) I mean, there's an old story uh, in in the Gospels where Jesus is just talking about what it looks like to build on the right foundation. And and so if Haggai teaches us anything, it teaches us to build on the right things, to make the right priority the right priority. He says that there is a man who will choose to build his life on the sand. And at the end of the day, everything that he's built his life on is going to drift out to sea. It's going to be driftwood. But there's a man who's going to choose to build his life on the rock, and we know that that rock is Jesus. And this stuff isn't going to drift out to sea. There's going to be blessing, and there's going to be reward in in that place. I think it's us choosing to live a life in Christ that influences everything that we do. In in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, when when God is setting out the law for, for the people to walk by and to live by, He sets out something called the the, the blessings and the curses. He tells them, "If, if my people will choose to follow me and build their life on me, when you obey my word, I'm going to bless you. But if you choose not to obey my word, if you choose to disobey the things that I've called you to, you're going to miss out on the blessing. And he goes even further, not, not even just miss out on the blessing. He calls it a, a curse, that this is not something to play games with. This is reality. And, and so how does Haggai wrap this up here in, in verse uh, 19 for us, I think, this morning? It says, on this day, from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on. From what day on? Over three months into the process, they've made a choice of obedience to let their schizophrenic heart be changed. They, they, they've, they've driven a stake in the ground and say, I'm going I'm to let my heart be changed by you. I'm going I'm to follow what you've given us to do. And then he says, I will bless you. What does it look like to be blessed by God? It's God pouring his favor out. It's peace. It's relationship. It's God's presence. It's knowing that God is for you, not against you. It's not hiding It's living in openness and grace. It's living in the reality that things aren't always perfect. I can find myself in in discouragement. I can find myself in sin. But knowing that He's not leaving me, that I can run to Him when I find myself in those places. God pouring out His blessings is us knowing that He is there. It's what He's been trying to confirm all throughout this book. It's an opportunity to trade futility with blessing. It's an opportunity to have a turning point that leads us into God's blessing. Look at verse 20. And we're going to wrap up with this. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelateel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And we know that prophecy, again, there's always a near and a far. was a near fulfillment of this, but we know that this was pointing to the day that Jesus is going to shake the heavens, that he's going to set up his kingdom, he's going to set up his throne, and every knee would bow to him. What Judah does is they make a decision. You know what? I'm going to have a turning point in my life right now. There's going to be a day that's going to come when, when Jesus is going to, he's going to step in. He's going to sit on a very real, not only a spiritual throne, but he's going to sit on a physical throne where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I hope that Haggai has led us to a point where we can see that he is worthy of our worship, he is worthy of our praise, and he is worthy of our obedience. And so if you've never had a turning point moment where you've thrown up your hands and you said, Jesus, I'm sorry. I repent. I want what you want. Haggai leads us to a place to say, man, it can happen today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you know uh, the condition of my own soul, the condition of my own heart. You know where I'm prone to wander and you know where I'm prone to anxiety and fear. and I mean, even, even today, Father, and you're working out those things and you're reminding me that you're there, you're not running away, that you're here and I can cling to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters that have never tasted and seen that God is good, that they would choose this morning to trade in their sin, to trade in their life, for your blessing. I pray this morning that moms and dads would choose to live for you and teach their kids about your grace and your love. I pray for, for men and women who have just, who have said, you know what, I, I, I don't know what's real. I don't know what to run after. I don't know what the main thing should be. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to understand that you are the main thing. A relationship with you is what you desire for us and that a changed heart of obedience that that obedience will lead to blessing. I pray, Father, where our vats have been dry and our barns have been empty and where we've expected to be satisfied, I pray that those things of longing where we have missed you will lead us to a place of surrender and obedience to you. I pray that, we, that as we see the, the depravity of our hands, the schizophrenia of our heart, God, that we would allow you to change our hearts, to mold our hearts, to change our desires. Father, I pray for my friends this morning who have been walking with you faithfully, who have experienced your grace and love. I pray that they would not give up, that they would stand firm, where they've staked a, a stake in the ground. I pray that we would never pick it up and move it, that we would stand firm on what you've given us to stand firm on, and we would... At the end of the day, just be brothers and sisters of obedience. I pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. Love you guys.